Hello, and welcome to Your Investment Partners with Paul and Garrett, where we talk about all things financial, focusing on helping you plan, keep, and grow for a successful future. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. And if you're tuning in again, welcome back and thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to Your Investment Partners with Paul and Garrett. Today, we talk about the recent banking crisis. We discuss the differences between FDIC and CIPIC insurance, common pitfalls to cash management, and some ideas you can do to protect yourself and the cash you hold. If you have questions about any of the items discussed today, please reach out either by email or phone. My name is Garrett Smith, and we look forward to having you with us today. Well, welcome back. Here we go again. Here we are. Interesting subject this time. (laughs) It's been in the news a lot, talking uh, banking. Banking. Banking and and banking banks having trouble. (laughs) (laughs) How many times can we say bank in a sentence (laughs) to start us off? So we've all seen the news, Silicon Valley Bank and other banks that are happening through the U.S., closing up shop and and moving around. Um, I think one thing is a good reminder at this point that it's not unusual for banks to go close their doors. It happens. (laughs) It's not. um, I was just kind of looking through some history and uh, in 2020, there were four bank closures. 2019, there were four bank closures. Uh, you know, there's eight in 2017 and five in 2016. So it's not unusual. And then obviously, as you get back into the financial crisis, uh, and, you know, the peak was in 2010, there was 157 banks that closed. So banks do close on occasion. It's no fun, but it does happen. Yeah, I, I remember there was even, even locally, it happens once in a while. There was a bank called Barnes Bank. Uh, around in the Ogden, Layton area. And I don't know, it's been 10 years or so ago and they just got over their skis and went belly up. So it happens. And so kind of the question that always is, is, well, how safe is safe? You know, (laughs) you put money into a bank thinking it's safe. And I think we've all seen It's a Wonderful Life and the speech that they give that your money's not here. It's in the house over there and in the business over there. And there's, that's still kind of how banking works today. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's why it's important for people to, you know, kind of understand FDIC limits and how they work. And, and we'll get into that in in a bit. But maybe we ought to talk about, you know, kind of what happened to Silicon Valley Bank and how they kind of um, got themselves in a little bit of a pickle. So Yeah, so banks have assets and they um, lend uh, money to various projects. Mortgages is obviously one of the big ones, but also to businesses and uh, other real estate projects. And so what happens is they lend longer than what your deposit is, right? You can go get your money, you can put it in and take it out every day, but the, the loans that they have on their books, they've taken your dollars and lend it out to, those don't mature every day. And so they don't have the cash that comes in every night. And yeah, they can't go to the guy who's got a 30-year mortgage and say, oh, <laughs> by the way, Sally wants to withdraw her money. So, you know, you got to pay off your house today. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's a good thing it doesn't work that way. Yeah, and that causes what's called a duration mis- mismatch, right? The the borrowing and the lending happen, happen at different times. And so what happened at Silicon Valley Bank is they basically had, they had a, a, a small set of... Um, loans that they sold off and took a sizable loss on and it became public known. And so even though there's plenty of other assets still there, this loss had a lot of depositors worried. And so there was a run on the bank. And in 24 hours, about 25% of the bank's deposits were requested to be withdrawn. And and that's you know, substantial. There's just not that kind of dollars in a bank. It's, to a, handle. it's a heavy lift. Yeah. And, and so it caused them to start selling some of those longer duration assets. When you sell uh, those assets, 
at a price, you're usually selling them for a discount, especially in a fire sale. So they were losing more money and that's what ended up causing them to get, get, uh, need to be closed up. Um, but the, I think the interesting thing there, uh, and what, uh, the federal government, the FDIC has stepped in and done is, is now they've provided this bank term funding program, BTFP. And I'm sure you've seen it in the news. Uh, there's kind of some fear headlines around it because they're saying, look at all the money these banks are borrowing. And it's, we're printing all this new money and it's not really that. What they're allowing the banks to do is to say, bring your assets, the loans that you have on the books, we'll, we'll let you borrow against them. So they're basically being a bank of banks mm -hmm. and allowing them to get some liquidity. And, and normally banks have just kind of overnight that they need to sell up those things. But this new program allows them to have, you know, about a year or so to pay off those loans. So it extends that duration, that maturity out. So the banks can then have cash to process the um, withdraws. You can take your money and go to whatever bank you want to go. And then the bank has the time to let those assets mature and pay off the loans. And so it just kind of lines the bank back up with, with heavy withdrawals during the time. So it's a good thing because it's keeping liquidity in the system so that if you do need to take money out, the bank doesn't have to just close up shop. And that is the key in this situation is you just, you know, banks just need the liquidity. They, if they don't, you know, they'll, most of them are going to be just fine as long as Everybody doesn't want their money all at once. Well, and, and Silicon Valley Bank was way out there on the risks. Yes. Not every bank takes as much risks in their lending book as Silicon Valley Bank did, right. has done. Um, and there's been a few others that we've seen kind of swallow up along with that. And so I think there's, there's a difference that you have to look at. There are some banks that are more aggressive. They're usually the ones that promise bigger benefits, pay our higher interest rates, and kind of down the line, they have to get those those extra dollars, those extra perks from somewhere. And usually it comes from taking more risks in their lending practices. Yeah. Uh, so that's just one thing to take into consideration. Silicon Valley Bank was uh, unusual in, in kind of the amount of risk that they were taking. They were still compliant, still falling within all the guidelines, but it was, you know, we all know guidelines have a have a wide range that yeah. you can be in. And they were up to, they were they were on the limit there. And and so this so that that new funding program uh, is different from the FDIC because the FDIC comes in and steps in when when you need dollars and they make those solvent for you as the individual. This is more uh, the, that program that was uh, the the BTFP was set up to help provide liquidity to those banks for those instances so they could process it without actually having to tap FDIC in funds, which is, which was also a good thing. Right. Too. So I kind of think the next step to step into is, you know, we hear FDIC, what is the FDIC? What is CIPIC? That flows around. If you're involved in a credit union, you see the NCUA, what are those things? So, you know, maybe let's talk about kind of those different programs from uh, kind of covering different situations. Yeah. If I remember right, the FDIC came along in, a, I think it was in the seventies sometime and they just wanted to you know, make sure that the public had confidence in banks and, and confidence is really, really important as we've just learned, you know, once the general public loses confidence in the financial institution, uh, it, you know, things can get in trouble in a hurry. And so the FDIC was created to make sure that there was confidence in the financial institutions and the, so you, you actually have the full faith and credit of the United States government guaranteeing your deposits up to certain limits. And until, you know, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, the limit was, it was always 100,000 for as long as I could remember. It was a, you know, it was 100,000, 100,000. And then, um, 
2008 with Probably, Dodd Frank. Was that when it was? Mm-hmm. 2008, oh, Dodd so Frank, yep. 2008, they came along and said, well, we need to do more. So, If you ever right. have a guess about banking system, just guess 2008. Guess 2008. A lot of things changed. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's, uh, now it's $250,000. So you know each person is insured uh, on their account up to uh, $250,000. And, and so basically what that means is that you know, you can have uh, $250,000 per person, per financial institution. So you literally could insure, I don't know, you know, however many financial institutions there are in the United States. You could have a lot of money guaranteed if you handle it carefully. Uh, but you'd have to, you know, it'd be kind of a little bit of a nightmare that you'd, you'd have to have, you know, 10,000 different uh, banking relationships, which would, you know, kind of be a pain too. But, uh, but it's possible to do that. Yeah. And, you know, and that's obviously a lot of times there's a separation on these FDIC limits and how we think about it for individuals versus businesses, because businesses usually have a lot more cash flow. They've got payroll they need to meet. I think uh, I saw a headline of of one of the depositors had had about 13 billion dollars over the FDIC limit just at Silicon Valley Bank. And that's just total mismanagement. Right. You know, there's and nobody's uh, payrolls that big. Nobody's payrolls that big. <laughs> and, and so usually you run into those limits because you're running a business. You know, obviously individuals will get there for different reasons, too. Um, but that's it's it's good to know that there's that two hundred fifty thousand dollar limit per depositor per institution. And so there's kind of different things you can do to um, work around that or, or, or manage it in a way that protects more dollars and you can still have kind of your cash liquidity buffer. Yeah, if you're if you're married and you have joint accounts, um, you know, they're just going to add them all up and the joint accounts uh, are going to be insured up to $250,000 per person per institution. So Right. So if you have, let's say, three accounts, separate one, you know, a husband has one, wife has one joint together, it's still two fifty for each of them. So right. if you have, you know, it's it's just aggregated. It doesn't matter that they're in separate accounts or right. whatever. It's just per depositor, per institution. Right. You can't just go open another account and have it insured also. So if you're if you add them up, if you're married and you add them up and you've got over five hundred thousand, uh, you need to, you know, really be kind of thinking through that a little bit more. Yeah. And so one area that we can touch on what we have uh, here with uh, on the investment accounts is because obviously there's securities involved and that's what's uh, covered by the Securities Investors Protection Corporation, which is SIPC. And that's if if our clearing firm or any clearing firm that's involved with this program goes belly up. Well, the assets are still there. And so they're just guaranteeing, they're saying, hey, we'll get you connected back to your dollars. Right. And that's up to two, that's up to $500,000. One thing that we of have- cash. Uh, 250,000 in cash, 500,000 in, in deposits. And so, and then one thing uh, that you have on top of that is, is a lot of institutions do this. First Clearing does it for our clients here as an example, is they'll go out and buy from Lloyd's of London. They're a big reinsurance company, massive, you know, and they, they do all these things and they'll, they'll actually do uh, aggregate uh, everything up to a billion dollars too. So it, you know, we've got extensive protections and because SIPC's a little bit different because there's assets that are tied directly to it. It's not just um, cash well, and it all doesn't, the time. yeah, and it doesn't protect against loss. It protects us against fraud and abuse and stuff like that, but not, you know, yeah. market risk. Obviously, uh, that's kind of a different thing, right? If you have, yeah, if you make a bad decision, that's a bad decision, right? But if first clearing closes its doors, 
you can still have- You're protected. You're, you're protected. Yeah. And I think that's important to separate. There is a special SIPC, uh, particularly for, for that situation instead of just the FDIC insurance. And the NCUA is for credit unions, um, and it works very, very similar to the FDIC limit. Um, so just kind of using that $250,000 uh, number in mind, um, one thing to kind of consider is if you have over that, but you don't want to do, uh, you don't want to invest in the market and you want to hang on to it, um, what are some ways to kind of work around that limit and still maintain the $250,000 protection? Right. And and that's where you um, you get into the idea of having uh, additional financial institutions. So, you know, you can, if you bank at the credit union, then you could go to one of the local banks and open up an account. Um, if if clients come to us in that situation, uh, we just, we, we can actually buy um, what's called brokered CDs um, right in their investment account. So we just pull a list. There's lots of banks around the country that are looking for deposits uh, we pull up a list and, you know, generally there's, you know, 20 or 25 banks on there on any given day. And we just sort them based on who's paying the most yield for the time we're looking for. So, I, in fact, I pulled one up for a client today interested in a one year. We pull up, there was, a, you know, about 15 banks on there and you sort them according to which, who's paying the most. And, and that's really all that matters in that situation. It doesn't matter the name of the bank. Uh, as long as it's under two hundred fifty thousand and it's uh, it's a CD, it's fully FDIC insured. And I actually uh, had a client one back when I worked at First Security Bank had a brokered CD. The company we bought it from uh, went broke, and I was kind of nervous about how it was going to work. And you know, the next day, literally the next day, the money showed up in their account. So it's. <laughs> Uh, you know, it, it's very, very quick, very, very clean as long as you're under those limits. Yeah, the, it is. The I think clean is the greatest way to put it is, it, you know, it seems to be anytime you get in those troubles under the 250, uh, they're pretty quick with it. Because like I said, this is this happens. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's what they deal with. And I think right. one other thing to consider, too, is so you can obviously buy CDs at different places if you're wanting to do the certificate of deposit route. One thing that uh, you can have on on, say, a joint investment account here, if you want to just have it in cash, um, there's the expended extended uh, bank sweep program. Mm -hmm. And so they'll take your deposits and sweep it through five different bank accounts every night. And so you actually so even though you may have, say, a million dollars in account that's just in cash. Uh, it'll be protected because it'll be swept $200,000 into each of those five accounts. And so then it sits under that FDIC limit. And so those sweeps accounts, um, sometimes that gets confusing because those numbers look the same in mm -hmm. kind of your statement and different things. Um, but there's a reason why they're there is to sweep those additional deposits out to uh, maintain that uh, FDIC limit. Uh, and, and that just happens uh, for you as a client. Yeah. I think those are kind of the major considerations. And so when you have cash on hand, you know, the question is always, what's its purpose? What's it geared for? And obviously, if you're a business, you, you need to do you need to get involved more in those bank sweep deposits because that's how you can still maintain liquidity without locking it up into a CD. That is one downside about a, using a certificate of deposit is they are a time uh, you know, a time of deposit. Mm -hmm. They have to stay there for a certain period of time to get the full benefit. And so businesses act a little bit different than individuals. And I think another thing to also consider is, is, is as we were kind of going through the banking history. So over that $250,000 limit, you know, how much actually gets recovered? So let's say you mismanaged, you had a million dollars in the bank account, you get your first 250 out. And it looks like from the FDIC website, it takes 
usually what you see is about a 70% recovery rate about one year out. That seems to be about the average numbers. So when the bank goes under, you know, it's it's still it's not a complete total loss over that FDIC limit, but it's significant enough that it's well worth taking the time to get it right. Sure, they're in just in the process of liquidating the assets of the bank, and and that just takes some time. Uh, the trustee is obviously going to try and get as much uh, out of those assets as they possibly can, just so that they are, you know, that the the depositors are made as whole as possible. But um, it's just easier not to get in that situation and just make sure you you kind of keep an eye on um, where your balances are and kind of know how the rules work and and uh, then you, you just don't have that uh, situation come up at all. And I think the last point to touch on here is is trusts get treated a little bit differently because they're based on beneficiaries. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a w- weird little difference, a little wrinkle in there, but it's kind of a, a, a trust with beneficiaries it, and if they're under five unique beneficiaries, they get treated a little bit different than if they're six and more beneficiaries. So, you know, like any government program, it can't just be clean, <laughs> clean and simple. <laughs> <laughs> so trusts do get uh, treatment based on beneficiaries, which is a good thing to uh, have those passed. There's a grace period if there happens to be a death in the meantime of a, uh, a bank disruption. But if there's a particular situation you have a question on, you know, let's let's reach out and let's look at it. I think that's the biggest thing takeaway from the Silicon Valley Bank is, you know, it's always a good time to relook at your banking relationships and just say, hey, is this getting me where I want to be? Do I have, you know, am I managing my cash appropriately? Are there other options? Because cash management during an inflationary time with higher interest rates than we've had in, you know, 10 years. Well, it's actually kind of fun to be able to talk about this, right? <laughs> I mean, how, how long does, <laughs> you know, for forever, what was it? I mean, you have to tie your money up forever to get 1% on a CD. Right. You know, and now you can get 4 and 5%. And so it's, it, you know, it's a viable option. People need to, uh, you know, kind of be looking at their their cash and making sure it's put to a little better use than it has been for the last, you know, like 15 years. Yeah. And I think one, just one other point to touch on is when we were looking at this, there was, um, you know, you can have cash type investments still inside a retirement plan. Like, so if you're, putting money into your 401k and you're just worried about anything, there's usually cash options that are available that can pay a higher than just your normal bank cash mm-hmm. deposit. And so as those come ups too, it might be worth looking at those options, particularly if you're getting close to retirement and you, you still want to get the tax deduction benefit, but you don't necessarily want to take full stock market risk or bond risk. Right. And and so that's one thing to also look at inside the 401k is you can have cash investments that are paying a little bit more uh, or cash-like investments that are paying a little bit more than, than just what we're getting on a bank account. Thank you for tuning in and listening to Your Investment Partners with Paul and Garrett. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, visit us at sninvestment.com where you can subscribe to our newsletter to keep you up to date. See you in the next episode. Kessler, Norman, and Ride, LLC, DBA, Ascend Investment Partners, is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where our firm and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Ascend Investment Partners unless a client service agreement is in place. The opinions expressed in this podcast are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice, performance data, or recommendations that any particular security, portfolio of securities, transaction, or investment strategy 
is suitable for any specific person. This program is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. All opinions contained in this podcast are subject to change at any time without notice. To determine which, if any, investments may be appropriate for you, please consult with your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this podcast is not guaranteed of future results. As always, please remember that all investing involves risk and possible loss.